You're listening to War for Idiots, a podcast by idiots for idiots. You strapped in? Am I strapped in? My microphone's on the floor. I'm going to do some freestyle. Is that good for the headphones? Yeah, it's pretty good because I was recording. Hey, I just want to try. Ah, uh, suppose. That's well, that's insane. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, podcast listeners around the world, hello, and welcome back to another episode of War for Idiots. We are your hosts. I am Rich the Simpleton. I'm Mick the Clod. And those are two different words for idiots, and we are indeed the idiots you've been looking for. And today, very excited. Today, we're going to do our first case study. And that case study is going to be on the Peloponnesian Wars and the account of these by Thucydides. Now, are you excited about today's episode, Mick? Because I'm super pumped. Well, yeah, I'm excited that I'm just sitting in a room <laughs> talking stuff. <laughs> I'm really excited about this episode because uh, Thucydides. The Peloponnesian War, it's, um, it's really, really interesting to me because I have no background. I've never studied ancient history in any great detail. And really, my first outing with, uh, with ancient history was Thucydides, and it is absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and when I think about Thucydides, I, I come to the, to the epiphany that when you talk about the Peloponnesian Wars, when you talk about Thucydides' account for them, there is no middle ground. You either know very little about them, which is where I sit, or you have an incredible knowledge of the Pel- Peloponnesian Wars. You know, you're someone who's smart. And uh, we didn't bring anyone who's smart. We didn't people, bring right? any smart people in. It's not war for smart people. It's not war for smart people, it's war for idiots, WFI. But what I love about the Peloponnesian War is just saying Peloponnesian War, and, and I use this concept now in my everyday life. Like someone will say, um, what is your current thoughts on the uh, the new terminal that's going into the local city and how much money that's being spent on that? I'll say, after pondering, hmm, well, to be quite honest with you, it was good enough for the Peloponnesian War. It's good enough for us, isn't it? And people just assume I'm really smart because I said yeah. Peloponnesian, which is he, a really funny word. He also refers to his children as the Delian League, so, yeah. Which so, is a joke you won't get unless you have read two studies. Yeah, that's right. Understand the Peloponnesian War. So, Mick, how are you going this week? Are you Are you doing well? Sure, I'm doing okay. I've still got the soundboard. Still haven't paid for the premium subscription yet for the soundboard. So because we haven't got a sponsor. Because <laughs> we don't have a sponsor <laughs> and we're not selling enough of that merchandise. Yeah, and look, we are back with another episode. No one ever saw this coming except for us when we planned this episode. Yeah. Um, but we're back and we are indeed the Hamish and Andy of war. And in this case, that war that we're going to talk about is a case study for the Peloponnesian War. Now remember... We're here to talk about war at an accessible level. We're not discounting war by any means. Uh, we're not talking about uh, an insignificance of war. We are making it more approachable for us. Idiots. Idiots of the world. And we are keeping it real. 24-7. 24-7, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and even an extra day on those crazy leap years, which I don't yeah. really know why I exist. don't think we've got one this year though. Um, but that's us. Mick and Rich, keeping it real. I think we should start with a quote, as we normally do. I think you should read this quote in your British accent. I'm going to try a British accent. Now, if my wife is listening, she's going to cringe. Yes, because my British accent is terrible. And I'm doing it because it's a Shakespeare quote. Okay, um, so here we go. The life which had been the tomb of his virtue and of his honour is but a walking shadow, a poor player 
that struts and frets upon his hour upon the stage, and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, nothing significant. Man, you screwed the quote. What? Signifying nothing. Oh, signifying end. nothing. <laughs> you are the idiot on the stage. I'm the idiot on the stage. Look, I love this quote. We're not re-recording. We're not re-recording. I love this quote because I have no idea what's being said. I literally, physically cannot read and interpret this whilst I'm going. So I have no idea what it means. Arguably, you couldn't read. Arguably, I can't even read and interpret what it means. Was it even a British accent? It was an an accent. It was an accent. But what the listeners don't find as funny as I do until I say this is that me and Rich did English as our undergrads together. Yeah. And we did a bit of Shakespeare in that. Yeah. And we still can't interpret it. I have no idea what's being said. Tonight... We're just going to keep going. Okay. Sorry, we just had someone try and break into the studio, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so the last studio was plagued by lighting issues. <laughs> this, this one is plagued by people issues. So, um, and not us. What were you saying about me and Shakespeare? I don't know, man. Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Mick, who's this? It is. He's a Greek dude. But okay. I will go in and say a little bit more about him. So he's, he's famous for his history. So he's seen as a historian. He's up there with uh, Herodotus as one of the uh, great historians, early historians. Time frame? Time frame. Uh, around the same time frame as uh, Sun Tzu. Wrong. He's like a generation after Sun Tzu. So he's like yeah. 460 BC uh, okay. and died around 395 BC. This dude existed, by the way. There's no question on whether or not he existed. He actually had a son named Timotheus. 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 Um, he was also a bit of a statesman in general. I think he was one of the strategoi, or strategoi, I don't speak Greek. Um, not yet, anyway. Not yet. Uh, so he was he was an important player. He also got um, exiled during the time of the Peloponnesian War, which gave him a chance to sit back and be a historian and watch it all unfold. Okay, and, and we know him because of? He wrote a book. He wrote this book, and it was about the Peloponnesian War. So... And, and, and it is his famous work. And the Peloponnesian Wars, uh, for those that don't know, is a war that was fought uh, between the Greek and the Spartans. Well, the Spartans are Greek, though. So, uh, the Athenians, <laughs> sorry, excuse me. The Athenians and the Spartans. So I left that mistake in the show notes because I, know, I wanted to catch out. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so guy. he fought, it was a, a war fought between the Athenians and the Spartans. Thucydides was an Athenian and he, uh, he captured... I think it's Athenian, man. He captured <laughs> the, this war. Now, let's put this into some context. So when most people think about war, especially with Greeks and Spartans, they think of the movie The 300, okay? 2006, uh, directed by Zack Snyder. Now, this movie, The 300, was based on the Battle of Thermopylae, which, yeah. was, which was in 480 BC before the events of the Peloponnesian War. Yeah, that's okay. right. So to put it into more context, the sequel to this movie, The 300, Rise of an Empire, uh, arguably not as good, that's just my opinion, uh, directed by Noam Morrow, uh, released in 2014. Now this... Depends on if you're an Eva Green fan. This was based on the Battle of Artemisium and the Battle of Salamis. Okay, Artesium? Artemisium? Oh my God. <laughs> Look what you've done to me. Artem the Battle of Artemisium and Salamis. Okay, so the events of this movie are actually before, during, and after the events of the Battle of Thermopylae in 480 BC. So, so what happened in the 300, again, just to put in a reference for pop culture and people that are out there, that's about 50 years before 
the Peloponnesian Wars. Peloponnesian yep. Wars War 431 to 404 BC, half a decade after the infamous Spartan and Persian battle at the Hot Gates. Um, from my reading of Thucydides, there is no monsters. No, um, there's no monsters. There's no monsters in the book. There's no giants. Um, there's no Australians. There's Persians. There's Persians. Um, so obviously those monsters became extinct by the time the 300 came around. Uh, oh, sorry, the 300 was shot. Um, but the book is interesting nonetheless. Yeah, the, yeah, it's still interesting. You don't need monsters with massive hand carving bone arms. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, that's that's still out there. You might need monsters. Zack Snyder's... Uh, is directing the Justice League though? Oh, so, is he really? Yeah, that's so, fascinating. That's really it is. It's really fascinating. Okay, actually. me. Have you read this book? Yes. Caveat. <laughs> okay. So I I first read this when I was a teenager, thinking, yeah, what? I was, I was you read it as a teenager, and I worked in a bowling center, and there was uh, literally not much work oh to do. Oh my god! Wow. Um, That's very relevant. So if you were my boss, I don't really care if you're listening to this because I don't work there anymore. But yeah, so I I read like a heap of uh, the old Greek books. Um, This was one of them. Didn't really understand it then. And then last year I bought it on some advice for some people that did the studies program that you and I are now um, battling through. So I now have a copy of the book. I read it. uh, Our first assessment for our course was on Thucydides. and obviously, I've got a little bit more reading to do based on that assessment. Yeah. But it is, uh, it's an easy read if you find the right translation. Oh, man. It was the absolute opposite for me. Look, I had not read it all. I've only read what I had to read, uh, which is, you know, what, what portion do we have to read, do you think, of the entire book? So by the look at your tabs, like a, a quarter of it? Not even a quarter, man. Like, you can get away. You only really get down into, like, the first three years of the war, I think, yeah. after so, look, okay, Pericles I've, dies. I've read a quarter it's of a it. It's a 30-year war. Um, Arguably, I think I've read the most infamous quarter of it. Mm. So, you know, where a lot of people derive a lot of their quotes and stuff from, which, which we're about to get into. I found it quite the opposite. I found it really tough. Um, you know, what you see in it is that Thucydides uh, talks uh, or describes a lot of speeches that are given. Yeah. And man, if, if that's anything to go by, speeches back in ancient Greece, holy moly, went on for a very long time. If you like listening to Question Time from Parliament on ABC, for those yeah. Australians, or if you yeah. like watching people filibuster in the US, uh, maybe Thucydides is for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. For everyone else, just download WFI. Yeah, exactly. But look, <laughs> don't don't take this the wrong way. That, that was just how uh, I had a physical reaction to reading it. But what I actually read was actually pretty interesting. Um, and the reason why it's interesting is because you have a really, really unique uh, take in what Thucydides is, is doing. Now, you've got to remember, this guy is from 400 BC, uh, a long time ago. But he's giving you not only a historical account, but he's, he's, he's making you part of the moment. And it really much uh, really reminded me of Australian author uh, Fitzsimmons. What's his first name? Fitzsimmons. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, you know oh, the one I'm talking about. I didn't see his name in the show notes. I would have, <laughs> I would have boycotted this episode. Um, um, yeah, Fitzsimmons. So, he's the Republican guy. So he's he, a former Wallabies player. Yes. So yeah, exactly. So he, uh, when he writes, he, Peter he, Fitzsimmons. Peter Fitzsimmons. Apologies, uh, you, 
obviously listening to this. If you listen to this show, um, when he writes, call. It, it's a fascinating approach to it because he gives you the historical context, but he he puts you in the shoes of the people. He he brings people to life. He gives them speech, and, and it really makes you feel emotionally attached to what you're reading. And that's very much what Thucydides does. He he puts you in a historical context. Put, yeah. put it in, in, into a historical context, but the historical context is. 400 BC. It's an it's an amazing, amazing thing to be reading when when you finally get into it. Um, but I really think it's kind of like Clausewitz. I, I don't think you need to read all of it to understand. I think obviously that would help. But I think that if you can read a select part, um, but you really need to understand the context of what you're reading and, and why it's important. Um, I think you can actually get quite a lot from Thucydides and his description of the Peloponnesian War. What's happening to the light? <laughs> I feel like I just watched um, Panic the, Room. No, no, I feel like Panic Room. I really, I watched Ghostbusters, the new one, the other night. Oh yeah, it was, it was pretty good actually. It was pretty good. I've heard it's really, really good. Okay. One. Um, so, yeah, we want to talk about a couple of concepts that come from Thucydides. Mick, take it away. So let's talk about Thucydides' trap. The Thucydides, I'm sounding like you've killed my pronunciation. Uh, the Thucydides' trap. I am the Greek ruiner. <laughs> the Greek ruiner. That, actually, that is your name uh, okay. down at the lower. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Thucydides' trap. The yeah. Thucydides' trap as a concept uh, was first uh, coined by Graham T. Allison, who's an American political scientist at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. Now, uh, he wrote that uh, he talked about it and, and describes the quote that Thucydides talks about, and that is, what made war inevitable was the growth of Athenian power and the fear which this caused in Sparta. Mick, can you please explain what this means? Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's the idea of a rising power shaking up uh, the established order already. And I think people who are following contemporary global politics can understand this in, in the context of some of those rising powers challenging some of the US-dominated hegemony. So back in Peloponnesian days, we're going to call them Peloponnesian days just because it sounds like a really cool it teenage, like, teenage like, drama. When you say Peloponnesian, that sounds like... A <laughs> Greek teenage drama. It's like Heartbreak High, except in Peloponnesian. Yeah, Peloponnesian, yeah Degrassi High. Degrassi. Peloponnesian High. Got it. Anyway, um, so Sparta was the dominant military power. Yeah, so they just finished their war with Persia. Yeah, which they finished the yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and actually, the Spartans kind of got out a little bit early and let the Athenians do the last of the heavy lifting. Yeah. What this did, though, was an established an alliance that the Athenians controlled that started to challenge the economic and military might of Sparta. Yeah, so Sparta was this powerful nation following the Persian War uh, in which Sparta and Athenians fought with each other. Yeah, they're buddies. Uh, but then Sparta started to notice that Athenian or Athenian... Athens. Athens was growing more powerful and more powerful. And I think it's important to note that Sparta, great land army. Yeah. Athens, great sea power. Yeah. And we mean like great as in large, not as in, hey, you're doing great. Yeah, you're not pat on the back great, but actually really big. Although if they were here, I'd pat them on the back. Yeah. And and, and what, uh, what the Thucydides trap is saying is it's a concept where a nation who is large sees another nation that's also getting large or in rising power, or, or rising. becoming large yeah and this is a trap that they think i've got to do something about this i am the dominant force here who's this other force they're going to overtake me soon i can't just let them overtake me i need to do something about it so it talks about international politics from ancient times which is unfathomably relevant to uh to the modern day era it is it's in fact when we're talking about it being relevant to the modern day era 
those people that are watching the confirmation hearing of Secretary of Defence yeah, matters. That's right. uh, chaos, don't call him Mad Dog. I've called him Mad Dog in one of my other uh, podcasts. Probably not a really good move. He doesn't like it. That's a journalist term for him. Chaos was his call sign, and it was because Colonel has a good idea, which everyone thinks is funny. Um, although that doesn't spell chaos, so who knows? Anyway. Um, anyway, the um, he mentioned Thucydides and the Thucydides trap he did. in his speech, and, he t- and talking about how it's important to study these things because it's relevant to current politics. Well, he didn't say Thucydides trap in his speech. He talked about the next thing we're going to talk yeah. about, but the, it's a concept. Your your uh, your half point uh, is, is accepted. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. So that's it's a really interesting concept, and and really Thucydides is showing us uh, here, and the concept of Thucydides trap is why do countries wage war against each other? And you know, it, it it can be as simple as the fear of another country. Now, I want to do some role playing here, and I'm going to use Mick. Mick traditionally, oh, Mick is traditionally not good at role playing because he tries to be funny. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to who you've been talking to. <laughs> I'm going to try it anyway. Okay. Now this role play does not make much sense at all, but I just want people out there just bear with me. I promise that this will eventually make some sense. Now, Mick. Um, I want you to play the role of a farmer, uh, but you are farming mice. Okay, you are not an astronaut, you are a mouse farmer. Now, you have a large mouse farm, but you also keep cats within I, this farm as well. And the reason why you have the cats... I hate cats, so I don't understand farming mice, just, but I'll do it. Just focus. The reason why you have the cats is in case the mice get out of control, you're going to use the cats to round them up, okay? So you are a mouse farmer, you have cats... That's the start of scenario. All right, listeners, just remember the episode when Rich told me to focus because I couldn't understand that I was farming mice <laughs> and using cats to shepherd them. Hey, Mick. Continue. Mick, I, I noticed you have a, uh, a mouse farm. Yeah, it's weird, but it's what I do. Uh, so I was thinking of starting my own mouse farm. Okay, that's a little weird, but sure. But, hey, it's just going to be a small farm. What do you think about that? Well, if you, th- if you keep it small, yep. well, I, I, I think it... I can't really get in the way of your right to own a mouse farm. So if it's small. Okay, cool. So the status quo has been changed only slightly. Yeah. But then Mick, you start to notice, this is not me in character, you start to notice that this farm gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I, and I say to you in character, hey Mick, how's your farm going? Uh, mine's going pretty good, but oh, is that a steady state? Like we're not seeing much growth. Mine's um, growing massively, man. My maybe, farm is maybe, massive. Maybe that's why I'm not seeing much growth. Yeah, well, mine is huge. Like it's getting big. It's not bigger than yours, but my farm. I'm getting heaps of mice. I'm getting heaps really? of traction. I've got wheels. You know, it's I've got heaps of those little water bubblers with the ball that they have to lick, and the water comes out. Everything's going really well with my mouse farm. That's interesting. Um, you know, things are going so well. I'm thinking of buying cats. Uh, what do you need cats for? Uh, well, I'm. I noticed you have cats. Yeah, because uh, I've got more mice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I've got a lot of mice now as well. Not as much as you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to buy cats, but not as many cats as you. But I need cats to, to look up my Why mice. can't you just use my cats? Uh, can't use your cats um, because what if my cats needed, need to be used when you're using your cats? So I think it's, it's fair if I have my well, cats, you have your cats. But don't worry. These cats... You use my cats. My cats are more important for my farm, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you keep your cats for your farm. I'll get my own cats. Um, and then we'll keep on moving on. Okay. And then eventually my farm gets bigger. And then eventually I have the same amount of mice and the same amount of cats as you. I'm getting pretty uncomfortable with this situation. I was the dominant mouse farmer in the Peloponnesus. That's right. And I say to you, hey Mick, um, I've got the same size farm as you. In fact, 
I think my farm's gonna be bigger than yours soon. And I think I've got more cats than you now. So... Are you gonna keep those cats under control? Uh, first of all, don't ask me a question. It's <laughs> <laughs> not my job as a role player. Got it. Secondly, <laughs> secondly, I think you should get rid of some of your cats because I've got plenty of cats for all of us. So you don't need your cats anymore. No, like I am the preeminent mouse farmer. Now, ladies and gents, that's end scene. Uh, I'll wait for you to finish your applause. <laughs> but, but I think that I don't even have some applause on the soundboard. But I think that this this simple cat mouse analogy is a really simple way of looking at the thesis trap. I think it's really simple. It's extremely simple, but I think it you know it highlights that you know a nation has power. A nation's power has a military, and when another nation uh, is trying to unbalance this power, and maybe not directly, but just by being existing, but just by existing, just by being in existence with the same type of power in the same area, there's only room for so many cats. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a cat call, and my cats are going to fight your cats. Right, and it's going to be the biggest cat fight the world's ever seen. <laughs> Honestly, if we fought, it would be a massive cat fight. Yeah. But um. But look, it, it's simple. It was a horrible example. Obviously, not realistic. Um, but but it, oh my goodness, I can't believe you found a cat one. But I think it defines this, a cat this city's trap. Why wouldn't I have a cat down? It does. It defines it in a way that is different. And sometimes war is used to solve disputes between nations. And sometimes this dispute between nations is as simple as a power play. So that is really the city's trap. Cool. Can we talk about something else? Because this cat farming thing is really I know, it ate a lot of time. my mind. My mind brain is hurting with cats. Okay. Um, I want to talk about uh, something else that came from Thucydides, and that is the concept of fear, honor, and interests. Fear, honor, interests. When did you first hear this term? Before we talk about where we where we got it from this book. Oh. Mick, have you ever heard of the term fear, honor, interest? Yeah, but like now I read it. I told you before I read it like 18 years ago. Got it. Okay. So so you want like me to reference like a couple of months ago or 18 years ago? Let me set the scene. I really should pay attention. Mick is not being a very good player. I'm going to release my cats. Okay. So this was a speech from the Corinths. Now the Corinths are an it's, ally. They're not the Corinths, man. They're the, the Corinthians. Corinthians. And I'm pretty sure it's a speech from the Athenians. No, no, no. It's a speech from the Corinthians who were uh, allies with the Spartans um, and they were trying to get Sparta to wage war with Athens. And they said, and I quote, it was in keeping with the practice of mankind for us to accept an empire that was offered to us. And if we refused- It's the Athenians, man. Is it really the Athenians? Yeah, it's the Athenians. Why are you interrupting my quote? Because you're an idiot. (laughs) So this is the Athenians quoting, it was in keeping with the practice of mankind for us to accept an empire that was offered to us. And if we refuse to give it up under the pressure of the three strongest motives, fear, honor, and self-interest. And it is not we who set the example, for it has always been the law. And then it goes on and on and on. Yeah. Okay. What are they saying here? Well, one, you use a different translation than the one I've got. So okay. In normal translation, you don't have the self-interest in there, but it doesn't really matter. Self-interest what does is, it say? Interest? is important. Yeah. Does it say interest or self-interest? Yeah. Normally, it's fear, honor, interest, not self-interest, but it doesn't really matter because it's getting to the self-interest point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But 
What does it say? What, what, what it's saying is that these are the three primary motivations that drive political decisions by states. Yeah. War is a political decision. It's yeah. a tool, much like rich. And the idea behind this is that there's, these are three motivations for a state to go to war. And the Athenians are sitting there saying, hey, 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 you keep bossing us around, you're either going to evoke our fear, challenge our honour, or impede upon our interests. Yeah. And then we're going to have to say... War's on. We're releasing our cats to attack your mouse farm. Exactly right. And, and, you know, and it's really contextualised war for me. You know, every time we, we, we go into one of these theorists, I say all the time, contextualise, contextualise. But it contextualises war for me for another reason. And that is that the, the motivation that people go to war is based off what that state wants. And you can simplify every state that has ever gone to war into one of these three sections. You can almost say every time someone goes to war, there's a part of one of these three that, that is included. They are fearful, mainly for their security. They have some sort of honor based on their history that they have to defend. But I think the most important one uh, is very much often the interest. They have interests within the nation or what that nation stands for to wage war with them. Fear on interests defines why people go to war. And I, and I think it's incredibly powerful stuff. Um, you can link a country's motivations to it. So. I think about what nations are doing around the world in more, more recent times, and you know we are in a long period of peace on a world on a world uh, war spectrum. So we have small wars, we have limited wars, we have peacekeeping operations, yeah. we have resources uh, going, we have humanitarian aid. We've got all this stuff that's happening. It's not just war; even humanitarian aid. You can say why are they providing humanitarian aid from country A to country B? It's not because they're necessarily nice. It's not because they're nice. It's because they could they have, be nice. It's probably because they have an interest in doing so. And you yeah. can always find the deeper meaning of why these things happen. Did you say... Don't, don't, please deep? don't. Please don't. Okay, I won't. <laughs> so fear, honour, interest. Um, the concept that there's a such a thing called a Thucydides trap. This is the kind of stuff that we get when you read Thucydides, when, when you really interpret it. Um, and the amazing thing about this, the thing that probably sticks out in my head the most is that... It's incredibly relevant today in, yeah. in, in, in everything that we do and everything that's happening around the world. Yeah. And it, yeah, it also highlights, and you relate back to our Sun Tzu episode, this was a long war, ladies and gentlemen, and there was the nominal winner, Sparta, um, but at the end of the day, both states had their power severely affected. And Alexander the Great, who is great, uh, came through and, uh, well, Phil Hermaston did his dad and he lost an eye and he got killed and stabbed. But he came through and took over. But, but I think you do a good point. You know, you look, you, look, you watch the 300, you know, and, and yes, it's not, it's not that real. Um, but you saw the hatred between the Spartans and the Persians. Yeah. Fast forward, not very long in the future. Hey, they're buddies, man. They're buddies. Well, the Persians <laughs> helped the Spartans win this war. Exactly. So the Persians come to the side of the Spartans to fight the Athenians. They like, give them a fair bit of coin. And hey, why did they do it? Because of fear, because of honor, because of interest. That is a full circle, ladies and gents. Please hold your applause to the end. Now, it, it, it's relevant to today. He said, hold your applause. General uh, George Marshall, uh, who would go on to be Secretary of State uh, after World War II, he said, and I quote, whether a man can think with full wisdom and with deep conviction regarding certain, regarding certain of the basic international issues today, who has not at least reviewed in his mind the period 
of the Pe- Peloponnesian War and the fall of Athens. I think I've read that wrong. <laughs> no, you read it right. I think it's where you've gotten it from. It probably translated wrong. Yeah, right. Or maybe uh, Georgie Boy just didn't uh, say it right. But what he's saying is that you can't think about international politics without thinking about the Peloponnesian War and the fall of Athens and what led to the fall and, and the Thucydides trap and fear on interest. It, it, it is prevalent in every day today. Yeah. Um, so a friend of ours yeah. has written about Thucydides. Yeah, uh, Mark Gilchrist, a uh, good friend of the show, a uh, long-time listener. Please don't call in. Uh, he's a regular contributor to the Strategy Bridge. And if you don't uh, read the Strategy Bridge, Google the Strategy Bridge. Yeah, I'm on the side of Google. I don't care. Um, yep. I'm on the Google sectarian divide. Yep. Um, Google the Strategy Bridge. It's a great online journal discussing matters around strategy. But he wrote a piece about why Thucydides matters. And this is very topical these uh, at the moment. Yep. As we're recording, Thucydides is all throughout some of these high foreign policy and military strategy journals. And the quote... Do you, want, do you want to read the quote or do you want me to read the quote? You can read the quote, but um, can you do it well, please? Says the guy that couldn't read Shakespeare. <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Modern strategists... Oh, sorry. Do you no, I'll you do don't, it. You don't. Um, modern strategists must appreciate how Thucydides points out history's utility in contextualizing human decision-making, emotions, and actions, particularly in understanding fear, honor, and interest as the root causes for war. The perception of these inherently human attributes is fundamental to a state's conception of its vital interests and, in turn, its political objective. Now, I think he stole this from us. He did. That pretty much summarises the whole mouse farm cat farm. Yeah. Well, you know, there were some proprietary issues. I said he couldn't call it the mouse farm debate. And he, had to yeah, and he called it instead why the cities matters and, yep. and put on a strategy read. Look, Gilly has a really good point there. He also says, uh, and I quote, he provides... Speaking of uh, Thucydides, he provides a powerful case study of continuity and change in war. And as with Clausewitz, the lessons he identifies should not be reduced to glib epigrams. Glib epigrams. Thanks for the word explosion. I know. So I had to Google glib. Yeah. Man. So glib is it's an adjective. Yeah. Uh, it means fluent but insincere. Uh, and epigram is uh, is a noun. Okay. Uh, a pithy saying or remark expressing an idea in a clever and amusing way. So what he's saying is that there's depth. There's depth to what class was saying, uh, and there's depth to what is here in Thucydides when you try to understand the continuity and change in war. I think that's a really, really good way of saying it. Well done, Gilly. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Although when seeing big words like glib, which has got four letters in it, an epigram, my brain automatically goes... Does not compute. That's oh, just, an explosion sound would be Oh so my god, better. I just realised I am my own soundboard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm throwing my professional soundboard phone away. Alright, in summary of Thucydides, um, Thucydides and what he's talking about the Peloponnesian War is more than just a story. Uh, you can get so much more out of it, um, or you can just get what's on the surface. I think there's so much there for people up at the top, in the middle, or on the bottom. Cool. I noticed you were trying to avoid saying one word that triggers off my soundboard. I was so disappointed. Uh, One point, uh, we're talking about uh, books, so we're talking about translation issues. If you want to uh, pick yourself up a copy of the Peloponnesian Wars, you can get the cheapy uh, copies of it. That's fine, and that's for the surface level reading. If you want to go deep... Oh, a theme is emerging here. You... Can pick up the landmark Thucydides. Now, it's called the Landmark Thucydides, a comprehensive guide to the Peloponnesian War. It's got appendices, notes, everything inside it. 
It's the one we're using for our studies and it provides you nice little margin notes that summarize each of the passages in case, mm. like us, mm. you struggle sometimes when you read it. Because you're an idiot. Because you're an idiot. So if you're looking for just a quick read, Penguin Classics do a great uh, Peloponnesian Wars edition. If you're looking for something a little bit more in depth, then have a look at the landmark Thucydides. All right. Take one thing away from Thucydides for the young guys and girls out there who are just asking yourself, so what? What does it mean? Is it really about mice and cats or, or is it something more? Get through cities, uh, have a read of it. The, the book that Mick was just talking about has the, the text, but it also has the summation. You can even just read the summations on the, the, uh, the edges of the pages. Yeah. And I want you to take away this. What happened in 400 BC between Athens and between Sparta is what happened in World War One. It's what happened in World War Two. It's what's happening today and it's what's gonna happen in the future. And this man, Thucydides, has an unbelievable ability to capture that in an ancient, ancient time and tell it to you as if you were there through these stories. So I talked about how it is hard to read, but when you're reading it in context and when you understand that this stuff is relevant and will always be relevant because it's the first time it's been captured in such detail, go out there, read it, understand it. You will be a better person. Whatever you do out there uh, in the world, you're gonna be a better person because of it. Mick, any final points? Uh, I do actually have a final point. Well, Rich, did you see that? Was that what was that? That was merchandise and social media. What? We we have some. We have a merchandise and social media explosion. We're selling segways. We're <laughs> selling segways. Did it segway to something? No, there's no. Um, so basically, we we jump on board social media, follow us on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Me and Rich will be engaging with you guys on there. Um, We'll probably engage under the little logo. It is one of us. We'll probably put an M or an R, mm. depending on who it is. I'll put R to avoid confusion. Rich will put M. That'll be simple. Um, on Twitter, we'll do the same on which one of us is writing back to you. Jump aboard, have a chat with us. It's great. If you want to support the show in a way other than subscribing, downloading, telling your friends, jump on board the Facebook page, go to our shop and have a look at the limited, overly priced and expensive, but amazing, merchandise we do sell you can't get our merchandise anywhere else until someone pirates it that's right and people may in fact break into your house to steal this merchandise they've already tried breaking into the studio because exactly right because of how amazing it is but no look thanks for your time everyone thank you for in uh sitting through and uh, i was gonna say and enjoying you probably did uh bless you uh, in case someone out there just sneezed and look <laughs> this is rich and this is me and uh we're signing off uh but before we do just remember we may be idiots, but so are you. Have a great time, everybody. War for Idiots is a TDP production. All opinions expressed by individuals on the podcast are those of the individual and not necessarily representative of any other organisation. The music used during War for Idiots is Fireworks by Jazar and is used under an attribution share alike 3.0 international licence.